Come on up, Tom. All right, good to be together. I had a little rough start today, I'm just telling you ahead of time. I am uh, getting reacquainted with Michigan pollen, and uh, last night, this morning, I've had a couple sneezing attacks, not COVID, don't worry, and, uh, and then Lori was giving me a little, uh, little trim in the haircut and uh, sliced a part of my ear, and uh, I was... <laughs> walking around with toilet paper behind my ear for a while this morning. And I took an allergy tablet, and uh, I'm a little spacey, you know, but <laughs> people would say, well, you're always a little spacey, so what's the difference? But, so uh, I'm hoping I don't drool, and I'm hoping I don't nod off. Jeff, you make sure I don't, okay? All right, good. Uh, anyway, we're, uh, we're going to talk about this topic here, One in Christ, because that's really what we are. <clears throat> just look around the room, you already see different people from all different backgrounds gathered together here, and we're in this little auditorium, and we all kind of like each other. No fist fights have broken out this morning, and uh, uh, nobody's picketed uh, Ben singing or anything like that. Uh, we we kind of let him down on that last song. You, you got it together towards the second half of the song. But the first half, Ben, we, we let you down there, bro, just so you know. Yeah. Uh, and uh, as we kind of prepare for communion, that's really what this is all about, us remembering that we are one in Christ. Communion literally means these things that are posted up there and so many other things, but it's what happened that day the church started in Acts chapter 2, when these people from all different nations, all different walks of life came together to celebrate the Feast of the Harvest in Jerusalem, and uh, they spoke different languages, I'm sure they wore different clothing, they uh, thought different, uh, they had Judaism in common, but a lot of other things were different uh, for all those people. But that day, when they all came together, God made them one from that point forward. And from that point forward, they shared this common conviction that Jesus is the Lord of their lives. And as they followed him and his teaching and the apostles that uh, continued the, the message of Christ, they saw how this lived out in practical ways. Uh, people, when you put them together, they don't automatically just get together, but they're brought together by God. Amen? And so... Uh, this passage in Galatians chapter 3, it says, You are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. That's what God did. He made us one. So even though we may not have uh, biological connections, I do with my mom and my aunt, uh, but the rest of you I don't have any biological connections with, but the spiritual connection all happened when we all decided to make Jesus Lord and we were baptized into Christ. It's a beautiful thing when a church is unified, isn't it? 
And uh, I've been a part, unfortunately, Lori and I, over our ministry careers, we've often been sent to churches that weren't so unified uh, in order to help them get unified. And uh, for whatever reason, that was kind of what... what God had in store for us. Uh, I got with a friend of mine, an old high school buddy who lived in the Detroit area, and uh, I saw him at a high school reunion and then reconnected with him and his wife. And uh, they asked, so what do you do? And I said, well, I'm a minister. And, uh, and then they said, well, what kind of minister are you? Well, I, I'm just a minister. But what, like, what do you do, though? And I explained all this about how we've often gone into churches that we're not doing well and kind of revive them and bring them back to life. And he, he said, oh, you're a church whisperer. And I said, okay, well, it works for horses. I guess it works for churches as well. Uh, but, you know, God is the ultimate one that brings us together. Nations, any community strives for all of us to be unified. America is no different. Even on our currency, you see this e pluribus unum, from the many, one, in Latin. And, uh, you know, a lot of times in our nation's history, many times throughout the, cent- uh, the, the time that we've been in existence, uh, the, the United States has been completely united. Uh, you know, f- probably a few out- outliers there. Uh, we're living in a time right now where America has not accomplished unity at all. We're living in one of the most divided, divisive times in our country's history. Some people would argue that it's not that bad. Some would argue that it's worse than what it even appears. But uh, all I'm trying to say is that because you're part of a nation or a society, there's no guarantee that unity is going to take place. It only happens because we've decided to follow Jesus. God looks at us and he sees one. A lot of times we look at each other or people around us in the Grand Rapids area and we see other things. Remember when uh, emojis first came out? Which one's up there? Oh, I, I went too far. There. That was the first emoji. Now, I've been to a lot of places in the world and visited a lot of churches. I've never seen anybody quite that yellow. Uh, But that was the universal emoji, right? And then as time has gone by, we have all these other various shades of emojis because people identify with the color of their skin. I'm not trying to make a political statement or any kind of statement about what color emoji you should choose. I'm just saying it... It's a typical example of how we as human beings often look at the color of the skin and make some kind of assessment whether right or wrong. That's one way. Uh, We often look at people as far as generations. Uh, There's only a few of us uh, that are kind of that baby boomer Uh, a little bit before era, and uh, there's a certain way of thinking, a certain expectation that we have how people should function. And then, I don't know who names these, uh, who comes up with the definitions of the different generations, but we've got them all laid out there. Uh, And, uh, you know, the, the one with the cell phone, this is supposed to be the generation that was born, and all they knew was social media, 
tablets and phones and all that kind of stuff. Uh, Many of us remember when it was only black and white TV. I'm thinking at least a couple people remember before there was no TV, it was radio. And, uh, and then what is a cell phone anyway? I, I remember that. Uh, you know, the first, the first one, remember those? Uh, well, anyway, yeah. Uh, and now people are saying that possibly this next generation is going to be Generation C. It's for all the children that were born during the lockdown of the COVID uh, experience. So... Uh, I don't know what that means, but (laughs) I don't want to be a part of that. Now, this next slide, I'm telling you right now, it's going to test your heart a little bit. Are you ready for it? Okay, and and then sometimes we look at people like this, based on their political affiliation. I, uh, I have my leanings, you have your leanings, but we've got to remember that we are part of God's church and these things cannot define us as human beings. Uh, there's some brothers and sisters in this room that would lean to one side and identify with one creature up there, and others would identify with the exact opposite, and some of you would be offended because we didn't have the Green Party up there and the Independents and all the other, uh, all the other affiliations These are all symptoms of worldliness that run through our heart that cease to allow us to view each other as one. And when one drop of that kind of worldliness works its way into the church, it actually discolors the whole image of the church. God is trying to make us one. We ought to at least cooperate with Him and agree that that is the best way to do it. And so... For some degree or another, we've got to learn how to not look at people through the lens of how others look, but rather through the lens of God. Amen? Go ahead and turn to Acts chapter 10 with me. We'll get there eventually. So if that's what we do see from time to time, what what should we see? Well, we should be like God when... uh, uh, David was being chosen. He said, God does not look at the things that man looks at. Man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. It doesn't matter. Your appearance, the color of your skin, the age, all these other things that were listed just a little bit, in any other defining way, God views all people from the inside, not from the outside. Amen? Jesus was often criticized for some of the things that he did and said. A lot of times he broke Jewish tradition. The Pharisees would say that he broke Jewish law and they would make judgments about Jesus. But Jesus was just simply the transition point from the law to faith, uh, the law that, uh, or the faith that we're under right now. And so he challenged their thinking, challenged their hearts, and said, stop judging by mere appearances and make a right judgment. This is kind of human nature, isn't it? We can look at something very quickly or look at an individual very quickly and kind of come up with some assessments and some judgments 
that might be accurate, but many times, let's just say most times, we don't, we don't really understand who this person is, what brought them to this point, or what they're even really all about. We can't just judge by appearances. One of the biggest challenges for the first century church, you know, it started out, the only converts that we read about in the Bible anyway, are Jews. And so then as the church begins to spread, and now it's going into different lands and different places where it's inhabited largely by Gentiles, anyone that's not a Jew, now all of a sudden the Jews that were really, I think, probably very sincere in keeping their distance from Gentiles as taught by their family and their forefathers and their law, uh, now all of a sudden God opens the door for people like you and me to actually be a part of His kingdom. We were excluded from this. Our race, our nationality, our identity was excluded from Christianity in the early stages. But God, in a very powerful way, demonstrated that that's not the way it's going to be anymore. So in Acts chapter 10, we were not going to read the whole story. Ben's uh, famous for reading whole chapters. Uh, I'm, I'm dreading the Sunday that we come to church, and he says, okay, we're going to read the whole Bible today. And uh, I, ho- I hope you brought multiple snacks and vitamin supplements and all that kind of stuff. Uh, I think people are going to leave if you try it, though, Ben. All right, all right, good, good. But up to this point, we don't read about a Gentile becoming a Christian. And so this ushers in the opportunity for Jews and Jewish Christians now to look at the rest of the people that they are in existence with in an entirely different light. Peter himself struggled with this whole concept. God sends him a vision about some things that were considered unclean, animals to eat, coming down. And he says in verse 14, Surely not, Lord, Peter replied, I've never eaten anything impure or unclean. And so, uh, you know, the most common one is pork and things like that. I'm glad pork's legal nowadays. I love a good pork chop, pork tenderloin. Anything on the grill, uh, yeah, I'm getting hungry right now. So So as the story unfolds, Peter still doesn't really fully comprehend what this vision was all about. But some people were sent to Peter to bring him back to a man named Cornelius, who was a Gentile. Uh, an Italian, someone uh, of military background, perhaps. And it says, as they come to him in verse 27, talking with him, Peter went inside and found a large number of people. He said to them, you are well aware that it's against our law for a Jew to associate with a Gentile or visit him. But God has shown me that I should not call any man impure or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without raising any objection. May I ask why you sent for me? So Peter understood now what that vision was all about. 
He thought in the initially in the vision as it unfolded it was about food, but God was giving him a little preview that, no, it's not about food, it's about people. That you should not call anyone impure or unclean that I've already made clean, or in other words, provided for. Uh, there may be some people in your neighborhood that you don't associate with because you don't like who they are or what they represent. There may be groups of people that you like that when you're around them. I remember uh, shortly after, well, I don't know how long it was, after 9-11, I was on a flight. We were coming back from the Baltics, and there were a group of uh, Middle Eastern people on this particular flight, and uh, it made me a little uncomfortable because there was a lot of stuff in the news at that moment. And I even leaned over to Lori. There were two young guys that were pacing up and down the aisle of this big jet that we were flying on. And I said, Lori, look, if something happens, you know I'm going to have to stand up and do something. I don't know what it is, but I'm going to get involved. She says, I know you will. (laughs) And and, and so I'm watching these guys throughout this flight. We land in Detroit, <clears throat> we go through immigration, you know, where you, you come in through customs, and come to find out most of these Middle Eastern people were American citizens, but because it was in my head and because it was so prevalent in the news, I made a judgment or had suspicions that were unfounded. So I, I'm just saying all of us, we're not immune from having these types of thoughts run through our minds. Some things happen, and then in verse 34, then Peter began to speak, I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts men from every nation who fear him and do what is right. And then down in verse 47, can any, anyone keep these people from being baptized With water, they've received the Holy Spirit just as we have. So we ordered that they be baptized into the name of Jesus Christ when uh, when they asked Peter to stay with them, or then they asked Peter to stay with them for a few days. That very night, this strange category of people, Gentiles, now became one with the Jews who had already become Christians. There's periods of time, as we know, as we read through the New Testament, where they still struggled with this Jew-Gentile thing. And, uh, but yet, they were now considered one, as we should consider others one ourselves. Amen? What should this do for you and me? What it should do is it ought to get us to think about how we view other people. And if God wants everybody you see, whether you know them or strangers passing by on the street, if God's vision for them is to be one with you and the rest of His church, not just in Grand Rapids, but collectively, through all the world and through all the generations then if we don't see them that way, that has to say something about our hearts, our minds, on how we view people. Uh, I know it's a challenge. 
And, uh, and, and yet it's one that we have been given to wrestle with and work through because God's desire is that we're all one. If you're an older Christian, as some of you are, then your life should be identified with unity. That you're a person that actually brings people together rather than being so opinionated that you drive a wedge in between other disciples. If you're a younger Christian, this is something that you have to strive for, to learn the maturity of Christ and His early church and the example that we see and the example set by others, that at all costs we're working toward unifying each other. I think it even comes down to, these are more macro things, now on a micro level, with your children and with your spouses, God's vision is for you to be one, just as He is with you and you are with Him. And so if there's things in your marriage or with your children that just seem off whack, you're not happy with, don't settle for it. Don't, don't just let that become the normal way that you conduct your marriage or your family. Start praying to God. Maybe ask some other people for some help. But the goal is to be one. This last passage, 1 Corinthians chapter 10. You know, when we take communion, as we will here in just a moment, um, we often, and rightly so, think of the body and blood of Christ, right? We have that little cracker. Some of them are good and some of them are lame. Sometimes they're stale. Uh, in the last two years, a lot of them have been prepackaged that taste a little bit like styrofoam. But regardless of what it looks like and what it tastes like, we know that that represents the pain and the suffering, the life that Jesus lived. And when we put that in our mouth, we're remembering the life that Jesus gave for us. Similar with the juice. Whether it's real wine or grape juice, whether it was in a plastic container or a metal container, sometimes that juice gets a little funky tasting. Doesn't matter. It doesn't mean anything. It's what it represents. It represents the blood of Jesus Christ. But this communion is also about something else. It's also a reminder that you and I were made one when Jesus went to the cross, suffered, died, and was raised again. 1 Corinthians 10, we'll start in verse 14. Paul's talking to people that were struggling with getting rid of idolatry, and it's, uh, it's a lot about the Jew-Gentile thing that I talked about just a few moments ago. He says in verse 14, Therefore, my dear friends, flee from idolatry. I speak to sensible people, judge for yourselves what I say. Now listen to what he says. Is not the cup of thanksgiving for which we give thanks our participation in the blood of Christ? And is not the bread that we break a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one loaf we who are many are one body, for we all partake 
of the one loaf. This was instituted in the upper room the night before Jesus went to the cross, and Christians have remembered this on a weekly basis ever since that time. The body, the blood of Christ, are always the focal point, but it's also a reminder that because of our allegiance to Him, this has made us one, that there should be no division amongst us at all. So I'm going to ask you to do something weird, maybe for the first time ever. You've already done a lot of weird things in your life. In fact, some of you have done weird things this morning already. So instead of just simply bowing down, putting your face down and closing your eyes and thinking about the body and blood of Christ, I would like you this morning to do that, but then also to look around as you're taking communion and remember that this person that you make eye contact with, they're actually one in Christ with you. Amen? Let's pray, and then we'll uh, have the Lord's Supper. Father, thank you so much for loving us, reaching out to us, finding us wherever we were, and giving us an opportunity to be one with you. Thank you for the body and blood of your Son that made us